This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Halftime Show podcast. This is the Halftime Show with Umar Duri on Pulse 95. Welcome to the Halftime Show with Omar Duri. I'm your host covering everything internationally, sport and locally. Coming up on today's show, a great insight on the world of football transfers with super agent Safe Ruby. All the latest headlines from Wimbledon as we reach the finals and a roundup of everything hot in the world of sport, only on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Halftime Show podcast. This is the Halftime Show with Umar Duri on Pulse 95. I'm delighted to welcome on the Halftime Show Safe Ruby, who's been responsible for massive transfers in the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A and our very own Arabian Gulf League. Safe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me today. Safe, sports agents do a lot of fantastic work behind the scenes. What is the role in the modern game for a football agent? Well, a football agent has to be able to deal with the buying club, the selling club and the players and their advisors and be able to put together all the information in order to facilitate the best way of getting a deal and a transfer done. So there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that we don't see. How much work goes into completing a deal for a top player in the big leagues? Um, It really depends on his contractual situation, but normally nowadays with the amount of money um, in the Premier League, for example, um, and the top leagues, Um, the the days of smaller clubs having to sell players isn't the same as it was 10 years ago. So with that in mind, um, a lot more work goes in behind the scenes in terms of assessing and looking into the contractual situation of players um, and how the clubs that are selling the players view their assets and, uh, and, and so on and so forth. And with the amount of money invested safe with all these different parties being involved, how hard is it to actually communicate and make sure everything's right for the deal? Well, I mean, that's where, um, you know, uh, the broker, let's call him the middleman, comes in because he's the person that's going to be liaising with all the parties in order to get the right information through, um, you know, put the deals together and hopefully try and make it as as much of a win-win situation as possible um, in spite of a potentially a selling club losing a prize asset. And does it does it become more of a, a gamble as the contract does tie down with a player when it comes to uh, meeting certain requirements like for example in the summer transfer window or in the January transfer market? A million percent. I mean, uh, you know, you've seen it this year with uh, Eden Hazard as you mentioned with Chelsea with a year left on his contract. So. Uh, you know, unfortunately, with the amount of money flying around nowadays, you know, teams don't want to be losing um, or having a, a massive valuation knockdown on their prize assets. Absolutely. And with Eden Hazard especially, I mean, it's been on the cards for years how we've heard Eden Hazard might leave Chelsea and it could be this destination. And then when Zidane left Real Madrid, it was like, OK, he might not join them anymore. But how, how do we actually believe these rumours that come out on someone as a big profile as Eden Hazard in the market? Well, I mean, in reality, Chelsea and Real Madrid have been speaking to each other for the last best part of a year and a half. So both teams uh, would have really known what's going on. Um, Of course, Chelsea had slight complications this year with their transfer ban. Um, But at the same time, I think that Eden Hazard has been a great servant to them and obviously ending his 
his uh, his stint as a Chelsea player, you know, winning the Europa League for them, beating your beloved Arsenal. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, and going on, touching on that as well, you said it's been going on for a year and a half between Chelsea and Real Madrid. Is there news that we don't get to hear, that you do get to hear at a certain point where you're not allowed to disclose that with the media? Of course, because, I mean, these things are quite confidential. And, you know, uh, these type of transactions, some of them are done six months in advance. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Halftime Show podcast. This is the Halftime Show with Omar Adouri. More insight on the world of football through an agent's eyes with international sports agent Safe Ruby. Here's how he tackled my questions on the Halftime Show on Pulse 95. Safe, football IQ is often talked about. Now, how do you identify talent as an agent? Um, I mean, look, nowadays with the amount of footage um, and technology available to teams, scouts, managers, coaches, it's very, very um, easy to be able to assess and look into a player's qualities and attributes um, pretty much online at any time. Um, me personally, um, I like to look at key attributes for every position of every player. So, you know, a defender for me, for example, would need to be able to defend, essentially. So his size, his speed, you know, strikers, I just want to see them put the ball in the net. Wingers, I want to be able to see them to be quick and be able to put the ball in, you know, into crosses early and things like that. So different people have different ways of assessing things in terms of what you're talking about with football IQ. Um, I like to keep things a bit more simple in order to identify the talent that I like to work with. I know, I know agents that have been responsible for recommending players like Zinedine Zidane to Newcastle when he, you know, before he moved to Juventus, and you know they turned him down, didn't think he was good enough to play in the Championship in England. Amazing. And now you see where he, you know what, what kind of career he had. So Zinedine Zidane could have been a Newcastle player. He could have been a Newcastle player when Kevin Keegan was coached there, 100 million percent. Wow, wow. Well, there, there's news for us. All the football fans out there, and especially myself who follows Zinedine Zidane, it could have been a completely different career had he ended up at Newcastle United prior to Juventus. Definitely. Safe. what are your views on player power? I mean, player power is very interesting nowadays because obviously uh, um, players as assets to teams have become worth so much, you know, hundreds and millions of, uh, you know, billions of dollars that obviously, um, you know, if, if the assets of a team are, are not happy with the way a coach is working or handling them, etc., you know, they have a lot more power than they used to back in the day, which in my opinion is a bit wrong. But unfortunately, you know, that also has a impact on, on, on how teams handle these guys and how hand, they handle their coaches. Well, let's take, for example, a classic one that's been in the news a lot lately. Paul Pogba for Manchester United, who's seen two managers come in and out with Jose Mourinho obviously departing. A lot was looked at in terms of Paul Pogba's performance while he was there and while he wasn't. And all Gunnar Solskjaer coming in and Paul Pogba absolutely tearing the roof off the league at that point. But all of a sudden, the stint went down again. Now, how much power does a player have when it comes to management, when it comes to a big club like Manchester United? What are your views on that? I mean, look, they obviously have a degree of power because they're highly paid and highly valuable assets. But, you know, in reality, also sometimes these big clubs will, will take a stance that 
they'll go the other way in the way they handle these players in order to kind of stamp their authority and also let them know that you know who the boss is so even now with Manchester United and the Paul Pogba situation you know uh, if, if Paul Pogba does want to leave there has to be a club out there that's ready to pay a fortune and a transfer fee for him and a fortune in his salaries and you know that's easier said than done you know things are not rocking and rolling yet usually it relies on maybe one monster transfer to kind of trigger a trickle-down effect on the other deals um, you know I'm working closely with one or two Premier League teams at the moment and a few uh, teams in Europe facilitating a, a couple of transfers so you know I'll be on the phone and I'll be on my travels very soon um, amongst other things that I do over here as well and you said that key word monster now with let's say a monster transfer like Neymar for example or Antoine Griezmann going to Barcelona does that open the gates for other teams in the Premier League in La Liga in the Bundesliga to be able to purchase players that perhaps weren't available at a time where everything was kind of static in June yeah of course million percent I mean for example now um, you know Atletico Madrid are waiting for Griezmann to potentially be going to Barcelona to be made official so um, Atletico Madrid are also involved in the potential set, uh, purchase of uh, Jao Felix from Benfica so they're going to need to wait for that deal to be rubber stamped first so they know they're going to get X amount of money in order for them to then go after another player the same thing goes to the potential transfer of Alvaro Morata from Chelsea to, Man uh, to Atletico Madrid again Chelsea are asking for a certain amount of money Atletico Madrid aren't ready to open the checkbook on him yet but again that situation will change if and when they get funds in for different situations and there you have it halftime as a proper insight on the world of football transfers can you imagine Zinedine Zidane at Newcastle how different his career would have been if he had gone there uh after Juventus, oh, after Juventus, yeah, that would have been such a different, a different game altogether. It would have been incredible. Up next, all the latest headlines on Wimbledon. Stay tuned for more on Pulse ninety five. This is Pulse ninety five. You're listening to the Halftime Show podcast. This is the Halftime Show with Omar Panduri on Pulse ninety five. Welcome back to the Halftime Show. I hope you're having a fantastic weekend. Plenty to talk about on Wimbledon Centre Court. Have you watched the semi-finals yesterday? Novak Djokovic got through against Roberto Bautista Agut, but all the talk was about Roger Federer against Rafael Nadal. Roger Federer moved to within one win of a record equaling ninth Wimbledon singles title as he beat... Rafael Nadal to set up a final against his old foe Novak Djokovic. The crowd was in awe at centre court as they watched two legends grace Wimbledon in what could have easily been the final. It was clear from the first set there would be fine margins in this titanic clash. Federer's eight Wimbledon titles are more than any other man in history and if he beats Djokovic, if he beats Djokovic, he will match Martina Navratilova, let me try and pronounce that properly, success in women's singles. Yesterday's match between Federer and Nadal was incredible. Honestly, it was like elegance versus aggression. Nadal's aggression and the way he took to the court, you could tell he meant business. But Federer has this elegance in the style he plays. You can't help but admire the way he plays. It was, it was fantastic to watch. 
But what next now? Up next comes Novak Djokovic, who is the defending champion and hasn't got the same relationship with Federer as Nadal. Now, he's made a few changes to his lifestyle, including turning vegan. Any vegans out there, let us know if you've had that effect on your life since changing to the diet. It's been publicized that he used to pull out of tournaments. There was a lot of frustration in his game as he excluded himself from several major titles and probably could have won more. But making a huge change like that to be able to retain your title at a Wimbledon in 2019 against one of the greatest players of all time in Roger Federer. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. You know, um, what do you guys think? Text us on 4215. Let us know what you think. Who's going who's gonna to win between... Rafael, sorry, between Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic in the men's final. Now, I know the women's is currently happening today. And Serena Williams is a match away from equaling the women's record for the most Grand Slam titles after also reaching the final. Williams has 23 Grand Slams under her belt, just one away from Australian's Margaret Courts, which stood since the 1970s. Her opponent, Halep, becomes the first Romanian to reach a Wimbledon final. The former number one has only dropped one set and is targeting her second Grand Slam title. Now, again, it's it's matching up quite nicely because Serena came into this tournament not seeded in the top 10. And now Halep has a chance to be able to take that away from her. Having reached the final last year, Serena wants to definitely, definitely take this Wimbledon. And after everything she's been through, it's, it's almost like a fairy sto- uh, story if she actually wins it with her husband watching by. But something else that stuck out to me, this uh, this Wimbledon. Have you ever heard of quad wheelchair tennis? If you haven't, you really need to check out these phenomenal athletes. Honestly, they've they've competed in at the highest level. It's a beautiful thing and really puts things in perspective. When you actually realize that we come up with excuses, how many of us say, oh, I don't feel like training today, or I don't feel like competing. Remember the names, Andy Lapthorne, as he meets Dylan Alcott in the men's quad single finals. And on the women's side, De Groot against Mont Jane as they meet in the women's quad single finals. How strong and brave these athletes are to compete at the highest level, not just physically, but mentally, is so inspiring. And we all wish them all the best, obviously. And just to take a break away from your Roger Federer's and your Novak Djokovic and your Serena Williams, do watch the quad wheelchair tennis. Honestly, it's fantastic. I personally... I'm in awe of these athletes, you know, and it makes me think, Omar, you need to trade more. And I don't know how you guys feel out there, but text us on 4215 or if you're live on my Instagram or Pulse95Radio.com, do send us in your messages and let us know what you think. Coming up next in the final segment, a lot to look forward to this week as the World Cup in Cricket 2019 comes to an end. The African Nations Cup is red hot and Antoine Griezmann finally makes that huge move to Barcelona. Stay tuned for more on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Halftime Show podcast. This is the Halftime Show with Omar Maduri on Pulse 95. Welcome back to the Halftime Show. I am your host, Omar Duri, on this fine Saturday. Thank you for tuning in on Pulse95Radio.com or on the radio or even on our Instagram Live. In the final segment on today's Halftime Show, 
We cross over the latest headlines as there's a lot to cover this week with the Cricket World Cup final coming to an end. We have a cricket specialist coming in on Monday to elaborate more on that, what's hot and what's not. Please stay tuned to that. Anyone who loves cricket, Monday is the show for you to tune in. Will it come home as England meet New Zealand on Sunday? And has it lived up to the hype or are you satisfied with the two finalists so far as England play New Zealand? Do you feel they're fortunate to get there? What has been the turning points? Plenty to discuss in the cricket world. Now, I know with England, especially in the media, a lot is said on sports coming home. You know, especially with your football, with your cricket, with your rugby. But how do you feel about that? Text us on 4215 do, and let us know what's been your standout moment in the Cricket World Cup 2019. And do you feel that England and New Zealand are justified finalists? Or do you think maybe India should have been there? Maybe Pakistan? It's been an eventful World Cup, especially with a lot to say. One of my favourite moments... Um, was when I had a friend of mine who actually visited the cricket game and someone in front of him fell asleep. Now that's a really, really wrong thing to do in cricket, especially when a friend of mine had a horn in his hand and made sure he woke him up. Savage, I know. With the African Nations Cup reaching its crucial stage, who do you feel will make it to the final? Tunisia, Senegal, Algeria or Nigeria are in the final stages of what's been a long long season the last tournament on the international scene before we head back to pre-season and the domestic leagues has been somewhat mixed in terms of the reports i've read the mixed feelings the journalists the ex-footballers all saying that the tournament hosted in egypt has had mixed reports in my opinion i loved madagascar's story and how they surprised the world by competing against the biggest teams in Africa. They showed no fear and really stood up to everyone with their manager who originally is a technical director for a fourth division team. Now most of the players in Madagascar actually play in the third or fourth division in France. So there was a big underdog story there and no one expected them to do how well they did. Now it reminds me of the impact Iceland had a few years ago when they shocked the world and won over the fans in Europe. I think with the Madagascar story, it shows me exactly the same feel that we had to it. Now, there's several questions and comments coming in. Um, one of the questions I had from Ahmed Peaky Blinders was, how do you see the African Cup of Nations this year? In my opinion, I believe Algeria have been incredible, not just offensively, but defensively. Now, a lot of the talk has been about Riyad Mahrez, but I also think the way the manager has controlled that dressing room with players that play at big clubs has been admirable. That's one thing. Defensively, as I said before in the past, wins you titles. Offensively does get you the goals and you might win one or two games, but their defense is solid, their midfield is controlling and their attackers uh, are definitely sharper than most. And that's why I think Algeria will probably, probably go far. Despite having to face a very tough Nigerian side, I think Algeria might just paper, even though Nigeria do have Igalo and they do have Iwobi and some incredible players in their team, I think Algeria might just shade it. Now, Tunisia and Senegal. Senegal uh, have my favorite defender in the African Nations Cup, Koulibaly, who surely has to move to another team uh, as he plays for Napoli at the moment and is rated over 80 million in the transfer market. There's no way he could be staying there. With all due respect to Napoli fans, 
before you send your messages in. I think just like Van Dyke made that step up, it's time for Koulibaly to step up as well. And I definitely think it's time for him to, to step up. I hope he, he does make that move that he deserves because he's been a fantastic defender. I've got one more question. I tuned into the show the other day and heard you have a Pulse95 Fantasy Football League competition. How do I take part? Okay, head to the fantasy.premierleague.com website and set up your team and join our league. The code is RPD0KV. I'll be posting on my Instagram live. For everyone else, we're approaching full time on the Halftime Show. Thank you so much for being my guests. Have an amazing day and see you soon. All the love from Pulse95. This is Pulse95. Tune in live every Monday, Wednesday and Saturday from 3pm.